0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look today at verses 35 to 39. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, I wanted to share something funny with you that happened the last time, I believe, that I taught on this passage. Uh, Many years ago at my church in Brownsburg, Indiana, uh, my friend Dave Krumbacher, who was part of our church He tweeted on the Saturday afternoon before I was to preach this on Sunday, looking forward to tomorrow's sermon from Kirby Myers as he wraps up the book of Romans. Um, I was only planning on covering five verses, but he had me, was expecting me to cover eight chapters. So uh, Dave later corrected that tweet saying he meant chapter eight. Uh, I would love to stay and uh, wrap up the book of Romans with you today and finish chapters nine to 16. But I would never do that to those working in the nursery and in children's ministry. And I would really love to be invited back here as well. Well, I love the hymns. I love to look through old hymnals. I love to look for old hymnals whenever I go to a Christian bookstore. I have a few of those in my library. Um, I remember teaching a youth, youth lesson one time in Indiana, and uh, one of the girls in our youth group said, have you ever like pulled out a hymnal that doesn't smell so good? You know, and she said they should have a Yankee candle called Old Hymnal, you know. <laughs> I thought that was a great idea. I don't know if you would burn it in the house, but uh. so some of my favorite hymns and, and the verses coming from those hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God by Martin Luther. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And can it be by Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And it is well with my soul, by Horatio Spofford. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Well, there's a great hymn found in the book of Philippians. You may not know this, but Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 is a hymn. And Paul says there, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of God the Father. Last week, we began looking at one of the most comforting, one of the most uplifting, and most praised passages in all of Scripture. Commentators have called these verses a hymn of of assurance or a triumphant song and the highest plateau in the whole of divine revelation. And last week, we looked at the first stanza of this great hymn and song. Entitled The Unstoppable Grace of God. And I'd like to read those verses before we get to our text for today. So if you would join me in verse 31, where Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one. Who justifies? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And so today we look at this second stanza found in verses 35 to 39, and I've entitled this message, The Unfathomable Love of Christ. And so let's read our text for today, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible text, from this incredible book, from this incredible man, the Apostle Paul, that you saved and used to write half of the New Testament, Lord, for our good and for your glory. And Lord, as we jump back into Romans 8 today, I pray that you would just guide us through this passage together. And I pray that I, as the the preacher, would be clear and accurate, that I would be jealous for your glory. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I love the attribute that is known as the love of God. I love to talk to people about the love of God. I love to share the gospel with <clears throat> unbelievers and talk to them about the love of God. After I have talked to them about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man, my signature on my outgoing emails contains Romans 5.8, a verse I've shared with you before. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 7 to 8, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. In this is love, 1 John 4, 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then from that great psalm that I read earlier, Psalm 103, verses 10 to 12, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us." As we learned last week, no one can truly oppose believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because God is for them. And there is no limit to God's generosity to those whom he loves. There is no ground on which to accuse believers, and no one can condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? All of this, the Apostle Paul has affirmed through his rhetorical questions, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he, as he has sought to sum up the thrust of his arguments in the first half of this epistle. Is there anything left? If God is for us, no one can be against us. No one can bring a charge against God's elect, for God is the one who justifies. No one can condemn, for Christ died for our sins. He was raised for our justification. He now sits at God's right hand, interceding for us even now. Paul begins the second stanza with another question, another rhetorical question. I want you to see that in verse 35. He says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? God in the Son has set his love on a people of his choosing, those that he chose before the foundation of the world and has provided a great salvation for them. And friends, the sovereign God of the universe has done this. The God who has declared the end from the beginning has done this. The God who has ordained all things that come to pass has done this. Can anything rob them of this salvation? In other words, can anything possibly thwart God's design and God's plan? To drive home his point here, Paul throws out for consideration seven circumstances that might be thought capable of snatching us out of the grip of our heavenly father. And so he lists those here in verse 35 when he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Let's look at these briefly. Tribulation can mean tribulation or trouble or affliction. James Montgomery Boyce defines this as those Hard circumstances that are pressing down upon us. Distress. The meaning here is a narrowness of space. It conveys the idea of circumstances that confine us or even oppress us. Persecution. Write this down. The meaning is persecution. All right? It's it's the relentless pursuit by an enemy intent on doing us harm. This is the negative response of the world when we press the claims of Christ And this is something that is promised to all who would desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Famine, meaning hunger, famine, something that we know very little of in this country, but a reference to the chronic uh, shortage of food that was so common in the ancient world and something that still affects some regions of our world today. Nakedness, again, meaning nakedness or exposure, Paul here is most likely referring to the inability to purchase clothing because of extreme poverty. Peril, meaning peril, danger, any way in which the lives of believers are threatened. And then sword, the meaning here is a short sword or a dagger, probably a reference to the ultimate experience of suffering, martyrdom, or death for the sake of Christ. Again, this is a circumstance that is virtually unknown to Western Christians in the 21st century, but it is still common in many parts of the world, even as we have seen demonstrated recently in Africa and in the Middle East. It has been this way throughout the world, really, since the ascension of Jesus Christ, beginning with James, the brother of John, as we see him martyred in the book of Acts. This has been so common that the Word of God refers to believers here as sheep for the slaughter. Do you identify with that term? This is what we see here in verse 36, a quote from the Old Testament from the 44th Psalm. Paul says, just as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that comes from Psalm 44 verse 22. Here's the question posed by the Apostle Paul. Can a believer's experience of any of these seven circumstances separate him or her from the love of Christ? And the answer is is obvious. It is a resounding no. He is not saying that the believer in Christ will be protected from any of these seven things. He is saying, however, that none of these things will separate us from the everlasting and covenantal love of the Lord Jesus. Paul has really already answered this question again earlier in this chapter in verse 28 when he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. The word "all" means all here, and it includes tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and the sword. Not only can these things never separate a believer from the lover of his soul, but they can even by they can even be the means by which God demonstrates His love for His people. So, the next time you face tribulation or distress, or persecution, or perhaps hunger, or a lack of money to purchase clothing, or you go through a time of peril, or even one day the sword, don't question God and say to him, why don't you love me? But instead recognize this, that God is causing all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, and that God is using all things in our lives to make us more like him. Stop during those times and stop grumbling and stop complaining and remember and declare this, my God really loves me. He loves me so much that he is using this situation that I would never choose for myself, but he has allowed me to be in this situation to make me more like him. Hallelujah. Because nothing can separate me from his love. Verse 37, Paul says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We come to the supreme summit of this final paragraph in Romans 8, this portion of the letter that the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce calls a soaring pinnacle of revelation. There are no more questions from the apostle, no more rhetorical devices from Paul this servant of God and writer of much of the New Testament, writing under the inspiration and the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, turns to sheer didactic or teaching power here to proclaim the absolute certainty of the salvation of God's people. What he gives us here is nothing short of phenomenal. And here we see some of the most comforting, reassuring, and strengthening words known to Christians. In speaking of martyrdom, Paul again quotes from Psalm 44, verse 22, which speaks of God's people as sheep for the slaughter. This is the unbelieving world's opinion on those of those whom God loves, whom he has chosen, whom he has justified. This is the world's frame of reference that the body may be put to death and the lives of these believers in Jesus can be snuffed out. But it is not true in the eternal sphere. When faced with tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and even the sword, believers in Christ are more than conquerors. Paul says that in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And I really like the New American Standard here. We overwhelmingly conquer, not simply we are more than conquerors, This actually means that we are super conquerors. We who are in Christ are the victors of all victors, the champions of all champions. This is so, as Boyce notes, because believers battle not against natural foes, but against supernatural ones. Because the spiritual warfare is lifelong. Because the victory is eternal. Because the rewards of victory are surpassing. And because the end for which believers fight is God's glory, which must be vindicated. The Apostle Paul is careful here to remind his readers how this conquering is achieved. It is not by human strength. It does not come from self-effort. We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us, through him who continues to love us, through him whose love we will experience forever. And know. Difficult circumstance can separate a believer from the love of Christ. Some of you are going through some tough stuff right now. Difficult things, trials, tribulations, again, things that you would never choose for yourselves. But none of these circumstances will separate you from the love of Christ. And because of his great love with which he loved us, he enables us to endure it. He brings us through it. And in the process, process, he uses any and all of these circumstances to refine us more and more and to make us more like his son. James Montgomery Boyce again says, in contrast to the world and its power, Christians are indeed weak and despised. They are helpless as a flock of sheep, but they are in fact conquerors because they have been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ and have been, and have been made conquerors through him. After I graduated from college, I went to work for FCA, and I worked at the FCA's National Conference Center. It's not in existence anymore, but that was in Marshall, Indiana. And uh, Tom Landry had given a lot of money to FCA, the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And, and we had a, a road that came into the camp that was called Landry Lane. And uh, there was a sign as you came in to the, to the camp that said, bumps ahead. And this was referring to the speed bumps on the road, but as one huddle leader that summer pointed out when I was there, it was a good reminder of the Christian life. There are bumps ahead. And they will include tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and perhaps even the sword. But as a believer in Christ, we can in some way say, bring them on. We can learn to see these trials as our friends because we are super conquerors. We overwhelmingly conquer, Paul says, through him who loved us, and we can welcome these trials and difficulties, for we know that God is going to use every one of those to make us more like him, and that is a good thing, for that is his goal for everyone who belongs to him. It reminds me that he foreknew me before I was known, that he predestined me for eternal life, that he called me to himself, that he justified me through faith by his grace, and he will most definitely glorify me. Let us not forget what we learned earlier in this great book. If you want to go back to chapter five, it should be close. Romans five, verses three through five. Paul here says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Let us not forget the words from James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote in James 1.12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Back in chapter eight, verses 38 and 39, Paul here says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul has just listed seven things, seven difficult circumstances that believers in Christ can and will endure. And he has shown us that none of them will be able to separate us from the love of Christ because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now he turns to personal conviction he says i am convinced or i am persuaded i am absolutely sure of this and just a quick reminder here as paul says these things we need to be reminded from what he says in second timothy 3:16 3, that all scripture is god breathed and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness and second peter 1:20 20 to 21 but know this first of all that No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul, the man formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, who was a persecutor of Christians, one who rejected Jesus as Messiah, but one who was radically saved and chosen by God to be an apostle, and specifically an apostle to the Gentiles, chosen by Christ to receive his revelation, the God-breathed word. So this portion of, of Scripture here is no mere opinion. His convictions on this matter are eternal truth about which we too should be persuaded. And so Paul concludes this section of his letter to the believers in Rome as, and he scrapes the barrel, as it were, coming up with every possible thing that could possibly tear a believer away from the loving embrace of a gracious and loving God. But everyone that he comes with up with, he also dismisses as irrelevant. Death. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ, although this may be our greatest fear, we know that Christ himself stands on the opposite side of death and that death actually brings us to him. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain and to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. He told the Philippians, I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. Life. Life. Is the second one here. Life cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Through all that we experience in this life, all changes and variations, Christ is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, to 14, Paul says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Third is angels. Angels cannot separate us from the love of Christ. They would never try to keep us from the love of Christ. They are servants of God, ministering spirits who do his will. But they also lack the power to do, to do this for they are creations of the creator, God himself, as our men. No, this is just a side note. I read this little fun tidbit this week. According to rabbinic literature, angels have no knees, so they cannot sit in God's presence. That has nothing to do with Romans 8, but I thought I would pass that along. (laughs) Principalities. Principalities cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Paul seems to be thinking of fallen angels here or demons or spiritual forces that stand in opposition to God's rule over the universe. They, like angels, are created beings. They are inferior to God, and Jesus defeated them at the cross. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt Consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Things present. Present things cannot separate us from the love of Christ. All of our circumstances are filtered through the perfect and loving will of our heavenly father. God has promised all those who love him that I will never leave you or forsake you. Things to come. Future things cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Christ not only promised to be with us in this life, but also in the life to come. Powers. Powers cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Paul seems to have in mind here miracles or persons in positions of authority Beloved, we may face a day in this country where we are persecuted for our faith, for declaring that Jesus is the only way of salvation, for preaching that Jesus is God, and for believing and teaching that homosexuality and adultery and fornication are sins against a holy God. They They may throw us in prison, they may cut off our tongues, they may chop off our heads. I may be gunned down this afternoon, but they will never be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Height or depth, neither height nor depth can separate us from the love of God. There is nowhere in the created realm where Christ is not with us. That great Psalm, Psalm 139, seven to 10, the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. And then finally, he says, created things. No created thing can separate us from the love of Christ. I just picture the apostle Paul writing this as he is writing this letter to the church at Rome, as Paul is dictating this letter to his secretary, Tertius, who is named in Romans 16. I love that. I love that Tertius got his name in the Bible. If you read Romans 16, Paul is thanking all these people. And I just picture Paul pausing and Tertius like, writes his name. I, Tertius, who wrote this, greet you as well. But anyway... I can picture Paul walking over to a window and he's trying to think if there's anyone or anything he has left out. And so he simply says here, any other created thing. That covers everything but the creator himself. No created thing that was created and is now sustained by Christ will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is known as the, perseverance or the preservation of the saints where we see that we in Christ are eternally secure. We are secure in God's love because he acted lovingly toward us while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we were ungodly, while we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies. It was then that he sent Christ to earth to take our place in the crosshairs of divine wrath and to weave a cloak of perfect righteousness for us so that we could stand one day in the presence of a holy God without being destroyed. Surpassing all the potential threats to our security that Paul has mentioned, Boyce again here says, the love of God in Christ is the strongest, most steady, firm, unbending, solid, substantial, constant, uniform, dependable thing of all. I make mention of Dr. Boyce often in my sermons on Romans, and that is because I spent time with this man each week as I preached through the Book of Romans, and I have his four-volume commentary on the, the Book of Romans, which I would highly suggest to you. I cannot help from sharing just some of these nuggets that are contained within. Boyce was the senior minister of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1968 to 2000. He died on June the 15th of 2000, less than a month from his 62nd birthday. He died after a courageous battle against liver cancer. He wrote several hymns, and many of those are, are based on the book of Romans. And one of them is entitled Hallelujah. They're going to sing in just a moment. And it's based on Romans 8, 35 to 39. Dr. Paul Jones, who was the minister of music at 10th Presbyterian, wrote these songs together with Dr. Boyce. And we're gonna sing these words, but I want you to hear them before we sing them. What can separate my soul from the God who made me whole? Wrote my name in heaven's scroll, nothing. Hallelujah. Trouble, hardship, danger, sword, brought by those who hate my Lord, slander here or no reward. Nothing, hallelujah. Angels, demons, now or then, wickedness dreamed up by men, persecutions come again, nothing, hallelujah. Victors were ordained to be by the God who set us free. What can therefore conquer me? Nothing, hallelujah. We face death for God each day. What can pluck us from his way? Let God's people ever say, nothing. Hallelujah. As Lauren comes up to, to lead, help me lead this song, I heard uh, Dr. Paul jo- Jones tell this story at a Ligonier conference, I think back in 2004 in Ohio. And he was talking about these hymns that he and Dr. Boyce wrote together And uh, when Dr. Boyce got cancer and was dying, Dr. Paul Jones would go and visit him at his home and in the hospital, and, and they would sing these songs together that they had written together. It got to a point where Dr. Boyce could no longer speak from the cancer. And so Dr. Paul Jones would sing this song in his presence. And he couldn't sing anymore. He couldn't speak But when he would get to that final line, he would go, nothing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand and sing this great hymn today. I know it's new, but let's sing it for the glory of God. What can separate? Nothing, Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the words of that song. We thank you even more for the words that are found in Romans eight. Lord, this is such good truth for those of us who are in Christ. Thank you that nothing, absolutely nothing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here this day that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. And for us that are walking with you, that know you, Lord, for those who are going through great trials and difficulties, may they be comforted today that you love them. And you love them with a everlasting love. And you will never stop loving them. And you love them so much, Lord, that you are causing all things to work together for their good and for your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.